All right, so I chose a topic for one week only. This is like a special thing, one week only. Next week, we are going to get into all sorts of different topics about the beginning of the earth to the beginning of humankind to um, dinosaurs and aliens and we'll talk about all sorts of different things okay that's for next week and we have a series that we're going to do on that so it'll be it'll be good here's a fun fact the Tyrannosaurus fossil is the only fossil found with blood on the bones, like actual fossilized blood cells. Wow, that is interesting. All right, but for this week, it is the final few days before uh, Resurrection Sunday, Good Friday, uh, Easter, and I want to talk a little bit about something that happens that weekend. I want to get into a scripture. Um, I started listening and trying to figure out what to talk about. And this got pretty deep. So we'll see what we can cover. Bring out your, your deep minds, okay? To think about this thing and stretch a little bit. We're going to go to John chapter 17 to start out. This is actually a prayer that Jesus prays. And it is coming near the end of his time. Uh, but he is talking about his purpose. And in it is wrapped a lot of who he is and a lot of things. So we're going to read some verses in here. And we're going to start to try to stretch and understand what happens on Easter. Now he's really, really, uh, this is a controversial text, even though most people don't teach on it, um, it's a controversial text because for some, uh, it is difficult for them when they read it. It's difficult for anybody in the depth of what it says, but we're going to find out about the relationship that God has with himself, okay? That's one piece. And why and what happened and all wrapped around what happened with the resurrection uh, and the death of Christ. Okay, So there's a lot that I'm saying there, but we're going to get into it, dig into it. Verse 1 and 2 of John chapter 17. Please. These words say Jesus, and lift up his eyes to heaven. And said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son may also glorify thee. As, as thou hast given him over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Okay, so understanding, first of all, the relationship between Jesus and the Father. Okay? Jesus and the Father, that relationship is a very interesting thing. It's a mystery. We only know what Jesus tells us about it specifically. And we know clues throughout the Bible. Okay, so in that, who is Jesus to the Father? Son. The Son, okay? So when you and I say that someone is the son of someone else, what does that make you think? It is their child. It's their child. How do you think of the child of a person versus, let's start when they're young. Aww, they're they the cute little baby. Okay, like they look the same. Okay, so they have some characteristics that are same. Protector. I'm sorry, what? Protector. Okay, characteristics. Uh, one's a protector of another. Who's the protector? The father. The father. Protector is the father. In some cases. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but we're talking about when the kid is young. Okay, when when the kid is young, the father. This is this is not talking about any bad relationships. We're talking about a theoretical, the best, good father-son relationship you could think about. Okay. 
Best good. That's right. The good best. <laughs> the bestest. The most bestest. Okay. Relationship you can think about. So we have that. Would you say in your typical thought of a father and son, when the son is young, do you think of them as equal? No. 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 You wouldn't naturally, right? Now let's say the father is gets to be 50 and the son is 30. Do you think of them as equal? No. A little more, but A little more, but no. still that, like, authority relationship there, but... How about when the father's 80 and the son is 60? No. No. A little more, but still not. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So there seems to be a difference in how we think about father and son relationship, right? Child and child and parent relationships, father and son relationships. Is there a time that, and and maybe you wouldn't think of this normally, but some of you may. Is there a time when the son becomes more capable than the father? Yes, when the father gets really, really old. Okay, when the father gets old, right? <laughs> right? Um, so I don't think we're really talking about capability with this. I think we're talking about a relationship. Are they equal in a relationship ever? No. We got one no, two no's. It's hard to think about that, right? Are they equal ever? If they're both adults. <clears throat> and I feel like the father's always just going to have that one step higher because they are the father and the father figure. Like, you know, like. <laughs> Why? Because that's just how it works. When they're older, they have more. And <laughs> he was there first, right? <laughs> When they're older, they have more experience. There's more experience, okay. I mean, there's got to be a reason we call our heavenly father. Like, obviously, he's like way many steps above us, so like. Mm. I don't know, but I feel like it's hard because, like, when, like, the son has its own, has their own kid, like, they're now they're both in that, like, father and the father was a son, so it, like they have the same experience. So, I mean, I guess they so could. If the grandpa is a step above the father, and the father is a step above the son, <laughs> the grandpa two steps above the <laughs> Two steps above it. So, let me just say this. In, in Jewish culture, the father and the son were looked at essentially as one. Okay. We should have thought of that because, like, the Trinity and, like, well, one. <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about what they, what we see as their relationship, okay? Because it's a little mysterious, but God's given us some clues, all right? Is Jesus all-powerful? No. Yes. No, he's part of the power. He's going to resist temptations. He's not part yeah. of the Okay. All powerful. Given to him through God. Because he's the same. But he's. Yeah, so he is all powerful. All right. So we have. Well, I'm going to. We're going to go to uh, Revelation, actually. Let me take a look at this. Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. Now. It says in there, in that verse while you're turning there, as thou hast given him power over all flesh. Right? So the Son has power, that was in the verse we just read, over all flesh. So who is that? Jesus. Who is the flesh? Jesus. Humans. Okay? Humans. Now, we're turning to Revelation chapter number 1. We're going to read verse number... Now, if you notice, uh, you, does anybody have red words? They don't. They all have... You have red words. I have red words. 
Well, if you were to read these red words and look and notice red words, you would notice there's some red words throughout the first chapter. The very first part of the red words is number 8, verse 8. So I want you to read 8, please. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending saith the Lord, which which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Okay. Who is this? God. God, okay. And he is, what's the very last word? He is? Almighty. Almighty. And when did he start? Yeah, he did his first. He was, okay. He's first and last. He's always existed. Okay, Alpha and Omega. Essentially, he's saying, I am everything, and was there always, and uh, which is, which was, and which is to come. So, I'm now, I was in the past, and I'm going to be. But what I'm, happened to Beta then? Alpha, Omega, and Beta. What happened to Beta? There, <laughs> well, Alpha so, and Omega are the beginning and last letters of the alphabet. So, it means beginning and last. Beta is like, I don't know, it's somewhere. Alpha uh, beta is the second letter. Okay, so so essentially, omega is actually. So you think of it as okay. I was always, and I am most powerful. Okay, I always was. I always will be. Here I am. I am the Almighty, which means I am how mighty? Oh. All of it. There is nothing that this that he is not. Okay. A through Z, yes, essentially. Amazon. Okay, so only much better. Uh, so we're going to skip down to verse number 17. You could read several things that would describe him um, as hair, a hair, head of hair, snow white, with a golden garment on, okay? It's going to describe him. Uh, his feet were like brass. And his eyes burned like a furnace. Okay. They were like fire. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. So like standing underneath Niagara Falls. That's his voice. All right. So he's powerful. Just in his presence and his appearance. And again, we're going to pick up at verse 17. He speaks once at verse 8. He speaks again at verse 11. He speaks again at 17. Um, so we want to identify who this is. So let's look and see what it is. 17 and 18, please. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Okay, we know who this is, right? It was who was talking before. Right. Keep going. Verse 18, please. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And he and have the keys of hell and of death. Okay. I living. I was dead. Jesus. And I'm alive forevermore. Right? So that's how we identify. We know this is Jesus. Right? And so often when we think of Jesus, we think of the man Jesus walking on earth. Is this the same Jesus? Probably not. This is the one who didn't touch the ground. Jesus is God on earth, right? Jesus is God. If God is on earth, then that's Jesus. Then that's... That might not be the same Jesus, but it's still Jesus. So there's multiple Jesuses. That no. that sounds weird. <laughs> that it's like it's like it's like it's like it's like like it's all of the Bible and said, this is not easy to understand. So what we understand is that God is equal to Jesus. All right. And God exists in something that we call the Trinity. And where is the Trinity told to us in the Bible? 
places? Nowhere. Oh. Right? The word Trinity is never used in the Bible. Triune is another word that we say, and that means three one, right? Triune is 3-1. So I'm not saying that this is easy thing to understand, but what I'm saying is this, the understanding of this may help us in a little bit to understand the depth of what happened at the crucifixion. We use a lot of words to describe it, and we use and we talk about Jesus lots. Is Jesus God? I'm going to tell you absolutely, 100% God. Is Jesus man and human? Absolutely. When he walked on this earth, 100% human. How did he do it? Because he's God, okay? Because he can. And, and here's... So... Did he stop being God while he was walking on earth? No. No. God was still up in heaven. <clears throat> right. And then he was on earth? Yep. Yeah. Because okay. three people. Okay. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> okay, so he, he can do whatever he wants. And that's that's a part of an understanding. This this is difficult. Yes, okay. And this is where you gotta stretch your mind a little in thinking. He is one God, and he is very specific to say that throughout the Bible. I am one God. I am. Or he tells Moses on the mountain with the burning bush, I am. You don't question who I am because you don't understand. In Isaiah, I think he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. They are much higher than your thoughts. It is far beyond your understanding to look at me. But what I tell you about myself is true. So, he has set in motion and created a few things on, in this world. He created marriage and the family. He created government. Okay? Not each and every government, but the idea of a ruling thing over top of people. Okay? That there would be laws. And he created the church or worship of God, religion. Okay? So those are three institutions that he created. Very important institutions. And without those three things, society falls apart. I don't care if there's ten of you living on an island. You create a government. You have a family. That's how you can perpetuate yourself, right? That's how human race perpetuates itself, through a family. Or more likely, it escalates into this part of the island is mine, that part's yours, and turns into a fight. And that's, but that's how, that's how a government comes about, typically, is that something needs to be ruled and decided upon, however it is. Whether, or they just wind up murdering each Well, guy. whether it's the most powerful guy that crushes everybody else, or everybody says, hey, let's all sit down and agree. Right? That depends, but it still comes down to there has to be rule in it. Right? There has to be order in it. And God created mankind because he knew in mankind with government they'd need some sort of rule. Okay, wherever they are, we've had lots of different kinds of government, some worse than others. Most of the time selfishness comes in part and sin plays a part and destroys things, and new governments rise. Okay? But anyway, we get back to it. Do you think God created those for a purpose other than just keeping things in check? Maybe within the nature of God exists the qualities that He was showing to us through family through marriage, even at times through the government.
through a right government, not a wrong government, and I'm not saying a type of government necessarily being wrong, but I'm saying a government run by people with kindness and love is a whole different government than one run by a dictator or despot that's going to, I'm going to come and make you give me what I need, right? But yet, rule is still rule. God is very much relational and very much about justice. Because when ten people get together and and one person says, what makes me stop you from murdering somebody else? You live on that island, right? And you say, I'm really sick and tired of looking at her face. I want to get rid of her. <laughs> right? Somebody says, somebody says, she can't do that. That's not right. We need to have justice here. So she goes and says, I'm going to put her out. I'm going to get rid of her. And everybody says, we can't do that. We all have to agree that this isn't it. And what's the punishment for that? Okay? Government. They can go and go and go and go to the point where everyone's dead again. Right? Well, government is supposed to administer justice. And no, not all governments do a good job at administering justice. But in God, there is great relationship. And there is great justice. And God has God has the balance of both of those. Right? So lots of times we talk about the love of God. Sometimes we talk about the justice of God. He needs and has both of those things. And they do not contradict each other. At least God has justice. Sometimes even America doesn't have that. Did Absolutely. You know the war in Absolutely. Iraq? Over 18,000 women were killed by their own partners, and those men were not even put on trial or put in court cases and were let go. And there are many governments, many governments who do not do the right thing. We've talked about that, right? So, in the relationship of God, Jesus and the Father are looked are equal. But we will see that equal does not mean the same. It means something different. We know that he has been given power over all flesh, right? Because we read that in John. And what did we see that he has here? He's almighty, okay? And he's given something else. He has something in there, in that verse number 18. What's he got? A key. Of what? Hell and death. Key. Keys of hell and death. Now that's very strange. I didn't know hell and death had keys. That is honestly interesting. So. Well, what happens if he drops the keys and loses them? I want you to think about this. So I've worked for facilities for a long time now. 25 plus years, okay? Different positions, uh, when you get into facilities, they, when I first started, I'll say I worked over at uh, a BOCES. And at BOCES, and as in many other school institutions like I've worked, you start out and you're nobody. How do you get into the room that you need to get to? You go up and every door is locked. Yes, for the keys. You get a key. Now, when you're given that key for the first time and you've just started... The power. Okay, there is power, right? There, there is power with a key, right? That means I can go in there. I can go in there anytime I want. Unless, if I'm not really given the authority to do it. But what if someone just takes the keys and does it anyway? There's one janitor in school I got fired for just going in every room stealing school supplies. And so what does that do? He doesn't really have the authority to do that, right? Yep. Didn't have the authority. So, they got rid of him. Now, I've had different positions where I'm, I'm summer help and they gave me a key but didn't give me a key because I wasn't supposed to have a key. So they said, here and make sure you put it in this spot every night. 
So we put it on that same spot every night. We're not going to tell anybody you have. Did I have much authority? No. No. I was that like, kind no of sucks. You can't really know you got it because we want you to go do this work and you have to have it to get in there. I mean, that's so did, a little suspicious. Like, what are they planning? Are they going well, to he, you? Well, he wanted me to do work. He wanted me to do the work, okay? Now, then I was in a position where I went and I went to a locksmith. And the locksmith made up a whole ring of keys. And I signed my life away for these keys. And I got their keys and there was master keys for all these buildings in another place. Okay, so I signed that. So do I have authority? Yeah. Yep. Given authority, right? I've been given that authority and I can go in to any room that I need to, but I better have business there. Sounds like a skeleton key and it locks every door. Every door in that building. I can go into somebody's office, right? But you better and, be doing your work. But I better be making sure I'm doing the right thing there, right? So I have I have authority, and that was when I was a mechanic. Go in, I can go to places where other people can't go. I can go into mechanical spaces that people don't want to go to, right? I can go and fix things, but I do it with what I have been given as uh, work to do. Now, this last, this position I'm in now, I have the authority to make the keys and to give the keys out, okay? I can go anywhere I want to, at any time I want to. <clears throat> Even when they shut the building down, I have access to get in anywhere I want and go anywhere I want, day or night. Mm. And I have authority to go in anywhere. How do they not, not know that you're not stealing stuff? They have to trust me, right? They have been given me the authority. So who gives me the authority? Somebody higher than me gives me the authority to do it, right? So I've always there's always a boss. But to tell you the truth, that boss just trusts me. She can't make a key. Doesn't know how to make a key. I have the authority to do it. They come to me to get it. I can go into the president's office. Oh dear God. And examine what? Okay. Do I have the authority to go sit down and put my feet up on his desk? Could I do it? Yes, but you shouldn't. <laughs> All right, I shouldn't. You're right, right. And everybody knows like, whoa, you better not do that, right? So authority is very different. Now, people that have position, and there's a board, and tr uh, of trustees, and there's a president, and I have a boss, and that there's pretty much makes up. There's also a CEO, which is above the president. Well, I have, I have that group of people that, as a whole, have given me the authority to do whatever I need to do. Okay, I can go in, I can make decisions, I can do what I need to do. But there is an expectation with that authority. There's a responsibility with that authority. And I better be able to go in also and make sure that things are fixed right. Right? Also, when I walk into a place and something's flooding or something's burning or something is broken, dun, dun, dun. I'm not supposed to ignore that. What I've been happened? given the authority to do it so that I can take care of things within that realm, that whole realm. So I have the keys. I carry them around, make them, I hold them. I have a question. What do you do when you go to go to work, right, but the entire building is on fire because let's say someone saw a fighter, tried to kill it, but instead they broke out the entire building. Well, like a that would be a bad day. That would be a bad day. I so, so here's the thing. Authority is interesting, right? And we see that Jesus has authority. He's got the keys over hell and death. How did he get them? He just has them. He just has them, okay. Uh, he got really lucky. He was. Said, he said, "Please." He said, "Please." No, not quite. He got really lucky. He, he randomly found the keys while he was wandering around the desk. Well, what's? Can you repeat your question, please? 
Who? How did he get the keys to hell and death? He died and was just wandering around until he found them. Nope. Because he died. He, he did. He did? When he died, he went to hell. But why would Jesus go to hell? That's the but not like not but like. Why did Jesus go to hell? To get the keys to death. Okay. <laughs> it says specifically that Jesus went and preached to, in between his death and resurrection, he went and preached to the souls in hell. Hmm. He was, so what gave Jesus the authority to go there? God. Because he is God. So he's God, yes. And he, but here he's been given power over all flesh. This is attached to his death and resurrection. Right. So in dying, he's given the keys to hell, and in resurrection, he's given the keys to death. He now has authority over them. So basically, you'd okay. be like, "You're dead. You're dead. You get to live. You're dead. Your baby's gonna die." So did Jesus always have the authority no. over death and hell? Whoa! All right. He didn't get the keys till he was resurrected, so no. Yeah, but if he really yeah. had it, then he could have the keys. So, yeah. right? right. So, when did God, the Father, say, <laughs> "All right, you are going to go do this"? And when when did that decision happen? It was died there. When did, when did Jesus and the Father decide he was going to go die? When was the plan hatched? The plan was made long before he was oh, born. Maybe when long Adam before he Eve said, well, before maybe. Before the uh, it says in Genesis that it was going to happen. So before that. Was before Genesis. that, okay. Maybe before the beginning of time. Before the creation. Before, what it says is, God knew that he was going to do it before the foundation of the world. In other words, before the very first molecule of the world was set into order, the plan was already done. He knew the human race would falter and fail and sin. He knew there would need to be a redeemer, and he knew that he would do it. Why not just kill Lucifer in the beginning, then just stop it from all happening? Because what is real love? It, can love be forced? Real love? God, no. No. You can't ever force a person to love you. And so God said, real love. Because remember, he is about relationship and justice. Right? He said, here I am. Real love I want a creation that will love me. And so I'm going to give them free choice, free will. They're going to make a decision. And apparently he gave that choice to the angels. And you're right. What happened to Lucifer? He chose to turn against God. And then he condemned himself. We're going to get there again back in this lesson. But first, Jesus now has the keys to hell and death. He has authority over all. He has final say. What he says goes. He's the one. So if he really, really wanted to, he could release all those hells, the souls trapped in hell and just let them wreak havoc upon the world at any moment at any time. Except we know, so we know two things about God, right? We know he is key for relationship and love, but we also know in his character he cannot be unjust. And so when people turned against him, he said, if you turn against me, 
You cannot survive this. In the day you eat of the fruit of the tree, you will die. That's just depressing. It is. But the, the remedy to that, the loving side of God says, I can't let them die. I will do anything I can to redeem them. I'm going to go down, send my only son to die for them. And that's the greatest act of love that mankind has ever seen. Okay? And that was already decided before the world was created. So he just decided to have his son murdered to begin with. Well, that's kind of messed up. To think about. Okay, so my son is this age. He will be hung across upon a cross and murdered. I mean, seriously. And it actually said it pleased God to I know, do but that's it. That's so messed up. Why? Why did it please God? What's bigger than death? Because love. Love. Salvation. Opportunity that came from love. Right? And God knows that. And yet, God could not turn against and say, well, I'm just going to let them all free. He said, I've got to go and die. <clears throat> so that they can live. Alright? Now, Jesus, when he came to earth, think about it this way. If I say, Gideon comes up to me, and he starts messing with me. It's real annoying. That's honestly how He's getting real annoying, and he keeps coming after me, coming after me, coming after me, and I say, if you don't quit it, I'm going to take you down. Right? Doesn't that count as a verbal threat? No. <laughs> so, when he does it, if I say, I'm going to forgive you, does that mean I have less power because I forgave him? No, but it just means he's going to keep going and going and going and going and going. Because I chose to hold myself back, does that mean I'm less powerful? No. Nope. I can have the same power in my punch or my grip or whatever, but I can say I'm not going to use it that way. Think about Jesus when he came to earth. He could have turned stones into bread. How is he all God and all man? He chooses to limit himself. He has all power. <coughs> But he says, I will not use it. Hmm. Right? Except for the glory of God. I will not use it. I will walk through the hardships, the struggles, the trial. And I will give my life for that. So he chose to limit himself. And he didn't say, well, I deserve to do better. Did he deserve to be better? Yeah, absolutely. But he did not go after that and say, well, I'm not getting this. Jesus bent down, God bent down so far down to become minuscule, to become a human, right? <clears throat> to our level. So that he could give us, save, to save us, right? Just like... The Motolone Indian and the ants, right? That, that thing where he went down and became an ant to help them understand what God was doing. Jesus became small and limited himself so that we could understand and so that he could die for us and give us a chance. All right, so back to John chapter 17. Back to John chapter 17, verse number 3, please. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest to me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory which I had 
with thee before the world was. Okay, for a moment we'll pause there. Think about that. Jesus shared the glory with God. There are verses in the Bible specifically that say, I will not share my glory with another. God is a jealous God, so Jesus is God. Right? Because he's saying, Father, I shared this glory with you before the world ever was. I was with you. And we were one being. But here I am on earth, choosing to limit myself for a time, and you will do it again and bring glory back to me. Continue, please. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou they gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known all things whatsoever thou hast given me out of me. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst, didst send me. Okay, so I come from you, I come back to you, I was glorified with you, I am here not for my own glory, but I am here. So what does glory mean? That's a word we don't use. Um... There's, there's, there's more more to it than that. There's one meaning which means like I won the battle, I have the glory, and then there's another meaning which which I do not. So what is that? What does that word? I have the glory. I won the battle. I have. Like what's another word for it? Greatness. Greatness. Responsibility. Power. Responsibility. Fame. Fame. Like like when you glorify something, that's like 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 what? What do you think? <laughs> and it's because we don't like use this word. Than something. Okay, it's better than. How about honor? Is that a good word? Like you give honor to it, right? That means you give it prestige. It has great value, right? And so, God the Father places great value on the Son. And the Son's purpose, as He walks on this earth is to glorify the Father. So you see there's this passing back and forth. Passing back and forth. It's a shared authority. Shared authority. Now, here's where I want to get into for a moment. It's like marriage, in a way. I said God created or marriage relationship. So tell me a perfect marriage. No one has one, by the way. But a perfect marriage, God's intended marriage, has what kind of communication? Open and honest. Good. Open, honest, good. How often? All the time. Constant. Oh right? My God, that was in perfect sense. Right? There we go. And that is exactly no, that the way, but that's the way that a married couple is going to be in that they are in sync with one another. So I want you to think that relationship, they should be, that they are thinking that same direction. Now, the relationship of God, the Father and the Son, Okay. And included in the spirit there, they have this connection. Right? Father, Son, and Spirit. And it goes all ways. It's a constant connection, both ways. And they know what each other is doing. They know what each other's thinking. They commune with one another. Part of our communication word, okay? They have complete communication. God existed in and of himself from past eternity and he was not lonely. He was alone, but he was not lonely because the relationship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is complicated but perfect. And so when God says, well, I, I'm the Father, I'm the Son, 
I'm the Holy Spirit, it helps us understand a little bit. Now, what does a perfect marriage have? Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 20. Let's read this section about the perfect marriage. What is a perfect marriage supposed to be? So my question to you, before we read it, who's in charge? Of a perfect marriage. God. Husband or the wife? Both. Do they both have authority? Yeah. In some cases, there's one country where women's or the women have no authority whatsoever. Okay. But I'm not talking about earthly things. I'm talking about what is God's intention for marriage. Okay. You can find a million messed up marriages. More. Okay? And you'll find, as humans, none of them are perfect. But what was God's real intention? Let's read. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God, and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What chapter? Uh, chapter 5, Ephesians verse 20. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands and unto the Lord. For the husband is the leader, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ always also loved the church, and gave himself for it. Keep going, please. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or such or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. <coughs> He that loveth his wife loveth, loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they, shall to, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak of concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, that let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence reverence her husband. A respect. Okay. So that sounds very very weird. It basically sounds like the man's in charge, honestly. Okay. So. Each one is given a role. Does one have more authority than the other? No. It, nope. No. But it almost sounds like the man does, which is really weird, like the way it's worded in the Bible. So let's let's think about this. Let's think about this. It does say, wife, submit yourself to your husband, right? And then what does it say? For the husband to do, as as you love your own body, as Christ loves the church, you nourish and you. So, what is the purpose? What if the man hates himself? Does that mean he'll hurt his wife? Well, yes, there are many people out there in imperfect marriages that do. Okay, typically there's problems with the man if the man is mistreating. His wife. Okay. Most but men get overly Well, not most. Some. Not most. Some do. Okay. So, purpose. The purpose behind God, and this is what we're looking at, because God's relationship. This is a small picture of God's relationship. Was Jesus less important when he came to Earth? No. 
Was Jesus' purpose less important when he came to earth? No. Did he have less authority? Sort of, but no. Mm -hmm. He was here to accomplish something. And he did. Right? And the Father gave him all authority. Right? So he did come and he did accomplish something. And think about this. Because he had a role, his role was actually submissive. He said, I'll do what you tell me to do. But you told me he wasn't less powerful. And you told me he didn't have less authority. So he was choosing to be submissive. And there's great power in choosing that in that relationship. Now, is the father going to love him, the son? The whole time. Is the son going to love the father? The whole time. It's part of their nature. But they're in, in that role where they say, we're father, son. And Jesus says, I'm going to submit to your will. Not my will, but thine be done, he says. Right? God, your plan is perfect, and I will go with it. When he prays in the garden, he goes with it. He says, whatever it is, I will go with it. And he has to trust that the Father will take him through that, even what seems terrible. And he trusts fully because he loves fully. So that is part of the understanding that we have about when Christ came to earth. He put that in there, and then God says, you have all authority. And so that relationship is a perfect pass back and forth, like a perfect marriage, to say, okay, uh, I give you the authority to make decisions for us. If we can't agree on something, I give you the authority. I submit to you that authority to make that decision. Does that mean you get to make the decision however you want? Well, in humankind, we all say, oh, I'm in charge. That is not the way that God intended it. God said, okay, if you're given the authority to do it, you better treat her with sacrificial love. That means you give yourself for her. And you say, okay, I will. I will give myself for her. It means I put her first. And she says, okay, I'll go that way. And that is a perfect connection because that means he's protecting her and together they make this perfect connection and they move ahead and they do great things. Just like Jesus comes to earth and says, I will be, I will die. I will do this, right? To a much more difficult level, he submits to the will of God. Now, like the word submissive in this culture, it doesn't work for us very well. We like to all be independent, do our own thing, and want to do exactly. But submissive does not mean weak. It's a choice. Jesus chose to come do this. Way before the foundation of the world, he says, I'm going to go. I want to go. And God says, okay. We'll let you go. The Father says, we'll go. I don't want to give you up. But this is much higher of a purpose than my feelings of love towards you are. We're going to redeem this race of humans. And so he submits and goes and does this. All right? So he has this shared authority. And they have this perfect connection here. And Paul says, this is a great mystery. What happens when these two people, the man and the woman, submit to them, themselves and say, I will be, I will give myself totally to you? Two different roles. They give themselves totally to each other and they become one flesh. In that perfect connection, they become one flesh. In other words, they move as one more powerful being. Right? Together. They work together. They live together. They do together all things. And God does great things through a marriage. And it's a small picture, little tidbits of this is how God works. 
He moves as a being more powerful because of his connections. He is all powerful because he is perfectly connected. He can do anything. Jesus has the authority, the keys of hell and death. Always did, but he now says, look, I did this. I am the one who died. I am the one who did this. But he did it in a complete submissive way and said, I will do what you want, Father. And then God the Father says, oh, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to make every knee bow to you. Every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And so he has given glory to Jesus that was temporarily taken away. In this scripture, it's, it's difficult because it says he is perfectly together. It is a mystery of why God could love me that much. Why would he leave his perfect communion to limit himself? How mysterious is it? Let's finish up in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm sorry, 1 Peter yeah, chapter 1, verse 8. First Peter chapter one verse number eight. Whom having not seen ye love, in whom thou now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with love unspeakable and full of glory. Keep going through verse number twelve, please. Verse 9, please, wherever you are. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. What the brother of low degree rejoice in that he resulted. I think you're in a different, because that page didn't come from that spot. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. What verse? Verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did significantly when it was testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed, not unto thyself, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Okay. Paul, I'm sorry, Peter writes this, and it is, it is intense, and it's difficult to follow in the old language, but essentially he says this salvation is amazing. You look at the grace of God and you wonder why. Jesus has given this authority. He's given authority over all flesh, right? Power over all flesh. He has the keys of hell and death. He does this. He dies for us. And that is the greatest mystery ever. And if you don't think it's the greatest mystery, he said, look at the sufferings of Christ. Look at the things he underwent for you and for me. The prophets talked about it and told about the sufferings that would come. And then he came and he lived and he died. And Peter knew this as well as anybody. It was one of his best friends. Died and suffered for you. And he said, Peter was one of the first after the women to run to that tomb. Right? He ran to look at it. And what did he find there? It was empty. Grave clothes. Alright? But really what was there? He didn't see there. But there were other beings there. Right? We have reports that the angels showed up to the women and said, Where, who are you looking for? And the angels showed up to Mary Magdalene. And others, the angels showed up and said, well, why are you here? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. He wasn't, they weren't told to go down and tell people necessarily. They were there looking. 
And it says it right there in 1 Peter. The angels desired to look into this. Why do they want to look at it? Think about the angels. They were the ones that were sent to Zacharias and Elizabeth saying, you are going to have John the Baptist. Right? You're going to have John the Baptist come and he's going to make the way for Jesus, the Son of God, to come down. And then an angel shows up for Mary. And then the angels open the sky up on Christmas night. Right? And sing, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. And then we see uh, little hints of angels throughout, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, there's an angel there ministering to Jesus during his greatest, greatest agony. They come to help him. They come to be with him. They come to give what they can to Him because they have never seen such love. And then when Jesus dies and is resurrected, they're all around the tomb. Because yes, He's given the authority. And yes, He has all those things. But the angels were never given a chance at redemption. Not that we know of. Which is depressing. They only get one chance. I mean, how would you feel if you only have one chance in your life? You're like, okay, you messed up once, you're fired. How would you feel about that? Well, God is perfectly just in doing that, right? Because He said, do what's right. I've given you all the power to do what's right to the angels. And Lucifer, who was, they said, one of the most powerful angels in heaven, and the most beautiful angels in heaven, was able to walk on the mountain of God, okay? Special place and special authority he had. And he was closest. He said, I will be the most high. I will be like that. He turned and God says, you're out. You cannot be like this. And he was not given a chance to be redeemed or Jesus didn't die for him. Which is kind of sad if you think about it. Like, what if you only, what if everybody was only given one shot in life and they messed up once and then nobody would hire them, nobody would do anything for them, they lost their house, they lost their job, and it was just so. So, yes, sad for the angels, and that is God's, that we leave in God's hands. But what we do know is, what an amazing chance we're given as a human race to have a second chance, and third chance, and fifth chance, and a hundredth chance to do what is right. God says, I'll walk with you every day. I will redeem you. I will forgive you. For anything you do, I will forgive you. And we're given a chance that celestial beings are not given. And what are we? We're little ants. We're nobody here on earth, right? In the scheme of creation, we're so tiny and insignificant, and we mess up so much, and there's so much evil in our race. So many choices we make wrong, and Jesus said, I'm going to die for them. I love them that much. I'm going to go down. I'm going to die for them. God says it's a plan. It's a wonderful plan. It's so great. We're going to show the love that we have for these people. We're going to do it. So what a, what a chance the angels go and look and say, why does he love them so much? These little humans, these insignificant little humans. Why does he love them so much? And God says, I will, I will have mercy on who I will have mercy. What if we're just a tiny pet project to him? I don't know about pet project. If he died for me, I don't think that's a pet project. I think that's a great love. That's way beyond. It's way beyond. What he gave was way beyond. So we see he has authority. He's given all authority. He can do it. From the beginning he has it. And his relationship is key along with justice. And that's why he had to die because he never gave up the justice. And he says, I will take the punishment for the sin so that because I love them so much. I'll take the punishment. I will be in their place. I will do what I can do. I could just say they're condemned as a human race. 
and he would be perfect and just and right to do it. But instead he said, I'll take the punishment. They are condemned, but I will take all the punishment so that I can be with them in eternity. Angels want to look at the the gift that we have, the mystery that we have. It is a big deal. And so when we look and we see what God has done, we say, I don't deserve it. You're right. We don't. But praise God for it. Praise God for the fact He died for us. And He was able to do that. And He was willing to do that and give Himself for us. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good night.